set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, thanks, Dan. What a legend. Well, morning, church. So yesterday, um, my eldest daughter and my youngest daughter, my baby, uh, we were uh, walking around. It's a nice spring day, and we headed down. We live in Greenpoint, and we're walking around. There's a new playground there, and we uh, were heading to Coles. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a pretty outgoing bloke. I Hopefully, I don't scare people too bad. And, um, you know, anyway... So I, I, I just, I was just approaching random people, literally, and, and, and just saying, hey, you know, I know you don't know me from a bar of soap, but can I just ask you a question? I said, you know, I know, I know the hair, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's out of control, and, you know, if you want to, if you want to get in with Aussies, you self-deprecate, right? So that's what I, so, you know, I got to insult myself, hard to do sometimes, but, but anyway, so, <laughs> so, so I started asking people, I started going, hey, look, um, can I just ask you a question? Let's just pretend that there is an almighty God, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's just pretend, just for argument's sake, that today is judgment day. That you are going to stand before almighty God. What would you be feeling in that moment? You know, if this were true, because I didn't want to go in for, oh, yeah, well, I don't believe in God. Let's just, just for argument's sake. So, okay, yeah, yeah. What, what would you be feeling? What would you say? Well, they had a variety of answers. But rather than focus on them, for those of you in here that are looking at me right now, what would you say? What, what would you be feeling? Uh, maybe you're thinking, don't know. Haven't really thought about it. Others might be banking on the church attendance of your parents, or maybe your grandparents have, are, feel religious and seem religious, and, and you want to sort of affiliate with them. And 
Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe your, your wife or husband seems to be into this stuff, and so, you know, you can sort of bank on, on, on them. Others of you are kind of, you know, hoping that maybe this is like a scale, right? And, you know, you, you, of course, we've all done some bad things, and that kind of tips it this way, but, you know, you've done some good stuff as well, right? And so I guess in the end, when that day, great day of judgment comes, yeah, should be all right. Well, I hate to burst anybody's bubble, but the Bible says and teaches that you, me, all of us in this room are guilty. Guilty. Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has sinned against God. We have willfully disobeyed Him, rejected Him as King over our lives. Now, if you're new this morning, you might be thinking, oh man, what a nice church. Show up and the dude up front says, you're all condemned, right? I realize the concept of God judging in this great judgment day. I realize that for some of you, maybe it's not even on your radar. You know, if, it, if this is, you know, you're driving, it's not even on your windscreen to even sort of wipe it out. But the Bible teaches, friends, that none is righteous. No, not one. You understand? Every single person in this room is not righteous by nature. We are born sinners from Adam all the way through. The natural inclination of our hearts is to reject a creator. And it gets worse, by the way. Just when you thought I was heaping up all the bad news, it gets worse. The reality is, friend, I hope you're listening, you cannot obey God. You cannot. It is impossible. Even on your best day. Sure, I understand you. Maybe you're not as bad as some of those neighbors of yours. And, you know, I, I get it. You know, you can always point to your, your coworkers and they're a bit dodgy. But in and of yourself, you are no better. On your best day, your righteousness is like a filthy rag in God's sight. So, what do we do then? Do we just kind of throw our hands up and go, man, that was a whole truckload of guilt. What am I supposed to do? How, I mean, should I just give up? What are we supposed to do? Those controlled by sinful nature cannot please God. So how do we get out of this situation? Is there any way that we can be freed from this situation? Can we be freed then from sin's penalty? Can we be freed, set free, liberated from sin's power? Because you just said, look, even on your best day, man, you're still a rat bag. Yeah. So then can we be freed from that? Can we be freed from sin's penalty? Can we be freed from sin's power? Is there hope? Yes. And that's what I want to explore this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None. 
Let's explore this together in Romans. Let's pray first. Lord, what we have not, give us. What we know not, show us. What we are not, make us. For your kingdom's sake, amen. All right, so years ago, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I know there's speed cameras here, but years ago, back in the States, back in America, I was driving to work. And on this drive, there was an incredibly steep hill where unless you are just checking your brakes like a maniac, um, you're inevitably going to speed, right? I mean, everybody does. You know? it's, it's a big hill. And so this day, I noticed at the very bottom of the hill, there was just a bunch of cop cars, and they were just ticketing people, right? Just ticketing people. And yes, I happen to be the unlucky bloke who copped it. <laughs> because not the car behind me. He's like, you, you, now, I was, I was, I felt ripped off. I was insulted, right? I mean, was I speeding? Yeah, but everyone else was. And it's a hill, it's not my fault. In fact, I, I was so confident, I said, I, said I, told, I told the cop, I said, in all due respect, officer, I'm gonna take this to court and I'm gonna win, okay? And so he said, you go for it, right? I said, no, I'll, look, I'll look forward to seeing you there. So I set the date, and I go appear before the judge in a courtroom, right? Your Honor, all arise. You know, you ever been in a courtroom? It's a bit intimidating, isn't it? Here, everybody rise, you know? And, I, and I'm like, off of fear. Like, first of all, I'm a pastor, okay? So, um, you know, I shouldn't even be in here, right? You know, this is for all the other people, right? And so, you know, I, I show up, and I confidently stand before the judge, and I say, Your Honor, I just want to start off by saying that I'm not a, I'm not a lawbreaker, okay? And, the, and the, the judge immediately interrupted me and goes, no, 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 stop, stop. If that were true, you wouldn't be in here. So, yes, sir, in fact, you are a lawbreaker. And the whole courtroom, but like, bust up laughing, right? And, I, and I'm pretty quick on my feet. I had nothing to say. Like, I just, and she was, you know, guilty. And, and I had to pay the fine and extra for the court fees and all that. You know, when you look at the book of Romans, it feels like a courtroom at points. There's a lot of legal language to it. It's like a, a prosecutor building their case before a judge. Your Honor, every single last person in this room this morning has sinned. Not one of them can claim otherwise. Therefore, there is only one verdict possible. Condemnation. Now, I know that may sound harsh, but it's true. We have all disobeyed God's law. We have all rejected him as king in our thoughts, in the way that we treat each other. And it's a hole of which we can't crawl out of on our own, you see. John MacArthur helpfully says this. He says, man is not simply influenced by sin. Listen, man is not simply influenced by sin, but is completely overpowered by it. And no one can escape that dominance by his own effort. Sin is a defiling disease that corrupts every person, degrades every individual, disquiets every soul. 
It steals peace and joy from the heart and replaces them with trouble and pain. Have you felt that? Sin is implanted in every human life and its deadly force brings a universal depravity that no man can cure. So what's the Lord supposed to do then if that's true? What's God supposed to do? Just turn a blind eye? Pretend that, oh yeah, you remember the scale thing? Well, you know, they have done some good. No. Would that be just of God? No. God is just. God is righteous. In fact, the Bible says in this book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. Because of sin, God rightly pronounces a death sentence upon us. But come with me to Romans 8 because Romans 8 begins with the best news imaginable Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Let's go back to that imaginary courtroom for a second. And let's pretend that you're the one on trial. The prosecution says, there is no other verdict you can make against this person than guilty and no other sentence than death. But the defense responds this way. We agree. This person is guilty, but someone else has stepped in to take the punishment. So now they are no longer condemned. Look at the verse again. Look at here. Don't miss the word now. Can you see it? There is therefore now no condemnation. It's a new period, a new era of salvation history. It's a marvelous truth, isn't it? But who exactly does that apply to? Who does that apply to? Just everyone that's just hearing this right now? No. Only people in Christ, meaning those who have been made one with him by faith. Yes, our world is fallen. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, even as Christians, we sin. But in Christ, our fate is no condemnation. Our destiny is no imperfection. And our victory is no separation from God. Isn't it amazing how Romans 8 begins, no condemnation and ends, no separation. So says Charles Wesley in his famous hymn, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 8. You see? No condemnation now I dread. You see the holiness and justice of God cried for a sentence of condemnation. But because of the work of Christ, you can be declared now no condemnation. Only in Christ, friend, 
Only in Jesus can you be set free from sin's penalty. I wonder though, have you ever felt that when that final day comes, when you stand before God, I wonder if you're banking on your faith or your failures. I wonder if you feel that maybe God perhaps just won't be able to look beyond your past. You've had a, quite a dirty past. It's shameful. And you know it. So maybe in the end, God won't forgive you. Listen. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That is an objective reality. The truth isn't what you're feeling about yourself. Do you understand? The truth is what God says about you. Do you understand? The, the truth is not subjective, what you feel about yourself to be true. The truth is what God says about you, and if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Do you remember those old TV shows, like Price is Right or whatever? And... Um, you know, they, there's like three different doorways or three different doors, right? Door number one. Door number two. Door number three. And, and you know, you're hoping if you're the person, even if you're the audience, that the person picks, you know, door number two or whatever because behind door number two is a brand new car, right? Or, and then behind door number three is like a spatula, you know? <laughs> I want you to picture this next verse in Romans 8 like that there's 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 Paul what Paul does is he sort of puts these two principles two two doorways if you like okay and the first door if you picture it has written over it spirit right spirit and you enter that door and it's life so it's it's better than a brand new car right it's life eternal the next door, though, has written over it law. And when you go through that door, and it's not like, ah, oh, bummer, I got a spatula. It's death. You know, this is more Hunger Games sort of game, right? This is eternal. So that's, let's look carefully here. I'm, I'm trying to, there's a lot of, it's very wordy. That I, say, I gave you this illustration because I want you to look carefully. If we're not careful, um, it, it can seem like just a bunch of Christian jargon. So let's, let's look intently at this. Notice, for the law, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Uh, can you see the two different um, principles or doorways there? Two different, right? I want, I want us to concentrate on the law, that door that has law written over it. The law of sin and death. And here's why. If we're to be saved by the law, if we're to be saved by the law, in other words, let me bring this home because you're like, oh, the law, what, what, what do you mean? This is what I think many people in Australia believe. I, if I go to church, I have to clean my act up, right? And if I start, it, going back to that scale, and if I start doing all of these things and start being a nice person and blah, 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 it's gonna tip the scale. Well, let me push on that 
because if that's the case, if you're to be saved in that way by the law, then guess what's necessary? Perfect, flawless obedience. You have to like, the scale has to go like perfectly, right? For the law, listen, if you don't do it that way, the law will show you no mercy, okay? You understand? Trying your best, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try to be a good person. I'm just gonna try, you know, I just wanna try. That didn't cut the mustard. That still condemns you. The law requires perfection. You know, a few hundred years after Jesus, it's a real godly fella, right? Guy named Jerome. And he really wanted, he was a leader in the church and he even translated uh, the Bible into Latin. It's what we get, what's called the Vulgate, right? But, but that wasn't enough. This guy, he wanted to be so committed to God, he said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to move out into the desert to live a, a, a life completely devoted to God, away from sin, everything else. And he, ha- and he just, he was gonna be, spend his entire life praying, fasting, and being devoted to God. But even in the midst of this isolated desert life, while his body was wasting away, his mind was filled with thoughts about the young, pretty girls that used to surround him in Rome. You see, the law could not help him. It only intensified, exasperated his sin. He opened that door called law, which leads to sin and death. Law-keeping is powerless to save. It cannot put us in a right standing with God. It knows how to do just one thing, condemn us. You see? So then, is the law evil or bad? No. No, we are. (laughs) We've failed. That's why Paul says the law is weakened by the flesh. Okay, so then it almost seems like I'm speaking out of two sides of my mouth here because you're saying, okay, how then are Christians, you just were banging on that, no, you know, no, no condemnation. How then are Christians not condemned? Because we still sin, don't we? How then can we, what evidence do we have that we've actually been set free? Well, verse three. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. You see that? What the law was incapable of doing, God did. What your morality could never achieve, God can. We can't. He can. Those in Christ have been freed from sin's penalty. How? How? Well, look at the rest of the verse. Notice, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. Now, don't get tripped up on the words here. Sending his own son in the likeness of human flesh. What does that sound like? What does that, it smells like Christmas, doesn't it? Right? Jesus coming to earth, the incarnation. Now, I realize it's not Christmas yet, but we're getting close. But Paul points to Jesus coming to earth, not because, oh, let's let's get sentimental. Isn't that nice? Oh, round young virgin. No, no, no. He points to it saying, look, if you're not going to be condemned, 
This is all going back to what he just previously said. We bank on the Son of God coming, taking on flesh, you see, by sending Christ. Because see, look, when Jesus walked this earth, you have to understand this, it's not like he was a hologram. This wasn't like, you know, zoom on steroids. He actually physically walked the surf. And it was like, oh, it kind of seems like he was sort of there in the flesh. No, no, no. Jesus participated in human flesh 100%. You know, his, his body was not somehow immune to cell phones or mobile phones going off and things like that. Though I'm, anyway. His body was not somehow immune to that. Right? Or even his body was not somehow immune to aging or physical death. He had a human form, a head, hands, feet, blood, and bones. At various points in his life, Jesus was hungry. He was tired. He needed sleep. He felt the weight of temptation like you and me, but never sinned. Because of this, Jesus can fully identify, Jesus can fully identify with sinners. But does that in and of itself solve our problem? Not really. He never sinned, but hold on, we have. <laughs> but real carefully at the verse. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Notice, by sinning his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. Jesus took a body like ours to die in our place. When Jesus died on the cross, something incredible occurred. He took our sin as his own. All of it. You understand, Christ in his entire life was tempted in every way, yet without sin. But when Jesus is on the cross, God treated him as if he was a sinner. Listen. He executed Jesus. God the Father executed his son as if he lived your life so he could treat you as if you lived his. He made him, God the Father made his son, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So now the banner of our life is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen. Hebrews 2 says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that being Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Only in Christ can you be freed from sin's penalty. But listen, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, right now, as I speak, you are under the righteous wrath of God. I don't say that because I'm in a bad mood. I say that as a warning. But you can turn to Jesus right 
now and be forgiven and saved. You can walk out of here no longer condemned by placing your faith in Christ. By the way, that simply just doesn't mean that you, it's like a get out of hell free card. You, you, you don't just, which it's true, it's pretty amazing, but it means that you actually gain Christ. You gain heaven, you see. But in the meantime, what about, what about all those hypocrite Christians? Isn't that why people don't come to church? Mate, I don't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. You know what I always say to that? There's always room for one more. <laughs> right? But in all seriousness, though, what about, what about sin's power? Right? Because, yeah, 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 no condemnation. Woo, 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 woo. But, but what about, like, what about us that just, like a dog returning to its vomit, we keep returning to our sin? It's like a ball and chain. Well, there's good news. There's amazing news. Not only can you be freed from the penalty of sin, but freed from the power of sin in your life. That's what Paul says in verse 4. Look what he says. This, this is amazing. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of of the Spirit. You see, what happens at the cross, friend, is not just judicial. Do you understand that? The great exchange not only puts our sins on Christ, it puts His Spirit in us, which means we now have the power to have victory over sin. You understand that a Christian person is a liberated person. We didn't used to be. We couldn't fight sin. I mean, think about it. Seriously, think about it. Before you were a Christian, you did whatever you thought you should, right? Did what's right in your own eyes. You were guided by your heart, your conscience, your moral code. But verse 7 describes that, does it not? Look at verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So I want you to take that idea of like, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to try to be a better person. I'm going to clean my act up. I'm going to try to obey God, blah, 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 and blow it to smithereens. Because it's not true. Not true at all. People in the flesh do what they want. Don't tell me I can't sleep with that person. Don't tell me I have to do that. It's my body. I can do what I want. If God doesn't accept me for who I am, he doesn't deserve me. That was us. That was you. That was me. Before we were Christians. We had no power to fight sin or please God. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in you. Look at verse 9. You, however, notice, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. When you become a Christian, you received a new heart, a new conscience, a new code implanted by the Spirit. Those who are in Christ are freed from sin's penalty and freed from sin's power. Think about that. That doesn't mean we won't struggle with sin. But we don't have to be a slave to it. That is, if you just dwell on that, the next time you're faced with that demon in your life, so to speak, that those who are in Christ are freed from sin's power. There's no temptation. That's not common to man, right? God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. How? The Holy Spirit of God lives in your life. I'm amazed when I look at my life that I, 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 I'm not the person I once was. I'm not the person I should be, but I'm on a trajectory, you see? You know, I, I like to measure my kids. You do this on the wall. Take a little pencil, you know. Oh, you're that big. And if the next day they go, did I grow? <laughs> Not really. But in two years, in two years, it, hopefully, it'll, there'll be a, a lot of growth, right? Because see, as we surrender our lives to Christ continually, as we preach the gospel to ourselves regularly, as we lean on the Spirit's power daily, it's incremental growth, you see? For some people, it's boom. But from the majority of us, it's usually just incremental growth. And that's how we can rest in Christ, you see. That we've been crucified with him. And we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And the life we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Freed from sin's penalty. Freed from sin's power. That's a hope you can anchor yourself in. That's an objective, finished work of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, what rich gospel truths these are. They're, they're easy to preach. Lord, we pray that your spirit would do the work now in our hearts. It's, it's, I would guess, Lord, in a church, particularly like this church, who maybe has heard bits and pieces of this, have almost vicariously attached themselves to it, but actually haven't closed with you yet. Lord, we do pray that you would grant faith, that you'd glorify yourself. That's all that matters, that you get the glory and the praise. Lord, we know that they will never repent on their own. So we pray that you would open their hearts and grant them repentance. Lord, we now celebrate the fact as we break bread together and reflect upon your body broken for us, your blood shed on the cross, that because of that objective event and truth, there is now no condemnation for those who are in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
If you're here and you're a Christian and you say, yes, I have turned to Jesus for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life, then my friend, my sister, my brother in Christ, let's celebrate that together as we um, grab the little elements here that represent Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed on the cross. Um, I'd encourage you to grab those, unwrap them, um, so that we can take them together as a church family. Um, But look, here is something that I don't think is probably preached enough in churches and I, don't, I think maybe pastors are just scared. I don't, I don't know why. But if, let me say this, make this as clear as I can. If you are not a Christian, if you are not united to Christ, do not take communion. It's not to like, you know, oh wow, we were all kind of on a high and now you just bashed us. No. Now you actually be drinking and eating judgment on yourself, the Bible says. You understand? So this is a, that's not to shame you right now, but it's to say this is, an, this is just an important moment. It's like baptism. You're publicly identifying with Christ, you see. So don't put the cart before the horse. Turn to Jesus today for forgiveness of your sins, but please, in this moment, let the items pass by. But for those of us who are in Christ, let's celebrate. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Hold on to those elements, and I'll read a passage together.